This podcast is part of the Christian Geek Central Network at ChristianGeekCentral.com. Strangers and Aliens, episode 120. No accounting for taste. Welcome to the Strangers and Aliens podcast. Strangers. <laughs> to boldly say what needs to be said. Would you be a stranger or an alien? Or would you be a strange alien? The truth is out there. I am your father's best friend, Palmer. Superman. Wonder Woman. Heroes. Villains. Captain Picard versus Captain Kirk. Do you think that there's room in sci-fi for God? The very first thing that God did was that he created something, so we have a creative God. This is Strangers and Aliens Podcast. Hello, everybody. I'm Ben Avery. I am one-third of the hosts for Strangers and Aliens, the podcast about science fiction fantasy and its intersection with faith and spirituality. And I'm here alone today to talk about Noah. Um, I'm here alone because it's late. I had some thoughts that I wanted to share. And um, Steve and Dr. Jace haven't seen the movie yet. And so kind of like my Riddick review, I'm just kind of doing this on my own. I've got my notes here. And I'm ready to just uh, – I've got some things I just want to talk about. Maybe get off my chest. I don't know if that's the right term that I want to use here um, because I I think that the movie Noah has some very, very um, strong discussion points and also some very, very big weaknesses. And the weaknesses are not just in theology. That's something I want to talk about. But um, – I, I, <laughs> I am dividing this uh, review into three parts, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yep, I'm going with the cliche. You know what? I figure if Noah can go with the cliche, why can't I? Yes, I do believe that there are some cliched things in Noah. We'll talk about that in a minute. This review is going to have some spoilers in it. Um, you probably already have had the ending spoiled for you in the Bible. Um You've heard the ending. You've seen the ending many, 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 many times if you've grown up in Sunday school classes at all like that. Um, but yeah, there, you guys that are listening right now, if you haven't seen the movie, I am going to be mentioning some things that you wouldn't know from what you already know. But you probably have already heard about these things from the many, many different articles and reviews that people have been posting on Facebook. Now, I am coming to this. Um, I have not yet listened to uh, the Spirit Blade Underground's review of Noah. Um, I've not yet listened to the Sci-Fi Christian's review of Noah. I guess they did two episodes of that, and that's at the sci-fi, the sci-fi Christian dot com, or at spiritbladeunderground.com. Uh, uh, I better check on that and make sure that that's actually the. Uh, uh, well, actually, no wait, no. You know what? You don't have to go. Uh, pay no attention to uh, spiritbladeunderground.com. ChristianGeekCentral.com. That's where you just need to go. Anyway, uh, that's where you can find all the stuff that, that Peter Franson is doing, including his review of Noah. I've already listened to his review of Captain America, um, which just came up. But I, I, I'm I, I'm not listening to people's in-depth reviews of Noah, and I'm, I'm kind of staying away from some of the articles and stuff. But I have had conversations on Facebook about Noah. And it's interesting because I do see a lot of people um, and a lot of different opinions – and, you know, just to name a few, um, I saw one person who basically said, if you have taste, you will like Noah. And if you are a Christian fundy, you won't like it. Or um, I, I saw someone else kind of say, um, if you um, – the only people who didn't like Noah are Christian artists who are frustrated with their own uh, – what was the word – who are frustrated with their own artistic irrelevance. Uh, that was another another one. Now, he said it was taken out of context um, because he was actually saying that those people 
I'm not even going to get into it, but he, he said it was taken out of context. Um, but he said what he said, you know, and then on the other hand, I'm also seeing people who are saying, you know, if you like this movie, it's because you're some sort of heathen or because you don't understand the true spirituality of the, the things going on behind the scenes. And so you shouldn't even touch this movie with a 10 foot pole. So I kind of wanted to, I, I wanted to kind of just uh, kind of work through some of my own thoughts and things about this. So like I said, I'm going with the good, the bad, and the ugly for my review. Um, so let's let's actually start with the good. Uh, with the good, um, uh, this is a film directed by Darren Aronofsky. And he is a filmmaker who way back when I was first getting into film and into um, my professional creative life, he was one of those guys who he made the movie Pi, and it was one of those underground success stories, and it was a great, powerful movie. And, and honestly, I watched this movie over and over again, just you know, kind of studying it, and and um, just it's so deep, you know, it's just one of those movies that just it blows you away with its depth and everything, and. So I'm going into no, and of course, Darren Aronofsky has, has done films since then that you know they're always hailed for their their great artisticness. So I'm going into this movie, and here is what I'm expecting: I am expecting a film, a story that vaguely resembles the story of Noah, uh, a fantasy movie that could be on a parallel Earth, possibly, but it's similar to the story that I have have um, not only uh, read many times over my, my lifetime, seen different cartoon versions and things like that. Um, I've also written a, a comic book adaptation of the story. It hasn't come out yet, um, but I, I have written a comic book about Noah and the story. And so I am not expecting my version of Noah to line up with Darren Aronofsky's version of Noah. I am also not expecting my version of Noah to uh, stand up to the artisticness uh, that you'll find in Darren Aronofsky's Noah. Uh, maybe it's because, you know, of my own um, artistic irrelevance or whatever. But um, I'm, I'm, I went to this movie expecting it to be a very well-made fantasy movie that has intense, deep themes and that vaguely resembles the, the, the movie or vaguely resembles the story of Noah. What I did get was um, a beautifully shot movie. Um, when this movie is just being artistic, it is very, very good. Um, there's a number of haunting moments in this movie. One is a flashbacks to the origin of the world, and 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 it's it's beautifully shot and just a a gorgeous, gorgeous montage there, and and also flashbacks to Adam and Eve in the garden. Well, it's it's really really intense and and cool looking. There's a vision that Noah has, I believe, yeah, Noah has that's of evil through the ages, and it's kind of done in silhouette. Um, and there's there's actually a number of, of moments in the movie that are are kind of done in silhouette. These are what I call a haunting moment because I went to a program called Act One Writing for Hollywood, and one of the professors or not professors, but one of the um, instructors there. She said that every screenplay has to have a haunting moment, a haunting moment being something that sticks with people even outside of the context of the film. And so there are haunting moments in this movie, things that have stuck with me that I've gone back to and thought about. Um, and and that, those were some of them. Another one was – uh, this was uh, an image that was kind of inspired by uh, Gustav Doré's – I might be saying that wrong – but his illustrations of the Bible. Now, Gustav Doré is one of um, – I, I have a number of his of books that, that they reprint his illustrations. It's kind of woodprint illustrations. You've seen them. You may not know you've seen them, but you, you've seen them. And there's these very intricate, realistically portrayed, but also – over the top, fantastically portrayed. It's kind of this kind of um, cross section there of over the top fantasy and realism. And he did, he illustrated the entire Bible, and it's wonderful. And there's an illustration. Uh, there's a there's a I should say there's a, a moment in the film that's very much inspired by that, where you see these people just climbing on this mountain, climbing up as high as they can, 
to get away from the waters that are rising. And the ark is right there. And you can hear their screams. And the people inside the ark, you can hear them screaming. And you can just see the people inside the ark just sitting there. What do you do when the world is dying around you? It's a terrible, terrible moment. And that's another good thing uh, that you kind of get from this. Now, we have to understand, of course, Darren Aronofsky is an atheist. He does not believe in God. Um, he explores spiritual elements and the Kabbalah, I think I'm saying that right. I hope I'm saying that right. But that, that's a Jewish mysticism that he, ha- he explored in Pi. I remember very vividly that these, um, the, the character as he's looking for answers in his life and, and answers to the meaning of life in the world. Um, he looks to this um, Jewish uh, mysticism of, of the Kabbalah. And so the director here, he's interested in that stuff, but he is an atheist. He does not believe that the Bible is true. He does not believe that the story of Noah's Ark is true. And so I'm holding him up to a standard of you are a wonderfully good filmmaker. You can make powerful movies. Let's give me this, you know, give me a, a, a movie that's going to make me think. And there is some moments in this where you get the perspective of an outsider looking in and kind of making commentary on things we take for granted as insiders. <clears throat> the story of Noah is a story we take for granted as insiders. We look at that story, we teach it to our three-year-olds and our four-year-olds. Uh, I, when I said that there were cartoons about this, I remember a cartoon that I saw when I was maybe in grade three or grade two. And it was about Noah's Ark. And there's a talking alligator who ends up on the Ark. Um, and he's kind of the bad guy, quote unquote, of, of things. And, and he's on the Ark and he's running around doing all these wacky antics. And it's kind of Hanna-Barbera-ish. Then you have – they even did a sequel uh, to this movie and, and I remember watching it on film in the basement of a campground uh, where we were – our church had gone and, and I don't know what the deal was exactly. But we um, were – our church was there at this camp and kind of having this retreat there and we watched this Noah's Ark movie and then the sequel, which is them you know, doing things after the Ark has hit, hit land and stuff like that. Um, I remember that vividly. Now, that's a story that – we're showing and teaching young children. But when you think about it, this is a horrific, horrific story. When it's genocide, it's the complete annihilation of the human race. And so we kind of gloss over that. And we also kind of gloss over Noah's humanity. Um, Noah was the only one who was following God. But at the same time, there's a moment in this movie Another kind of haunting moment where Noah sees someone who really resembles him. I really couldn't tell you if he was actually even played by Russell Crowe, this other person. But he sees, as he's looking at all these people in their sinfulness, he sees himself and realizes, wait, if humanity is sinful, that's me too. That's me too. These are things that an outsider looking in is kind of looking at and saying, oh, well, what about this? And asking questions. This movie does ask questions. And we're going to, when we get into the bad, um, we'll kind of explore some more of this, this point here. But this movie does ask questions about the nature of God, about the judgment of God, and about the justice of God. It asks questions. Well, it doesn't know. It doesn't ask questions about evil. It pretty much comes right out. And basically, the definition of evil from this movie is killing. Okay? And there's. Uh, there are other things that are evil, but um, it's like that's the pinnacle of humanity's evilness is is killing. And not just killing other people, but killing anything, really. Um, now, there's kind of a, uh, a little bit of hypocrisy and a little bit of a dichotomy there. But um, as Noah realizes, I'm human too, well, then it just goes off the rails with what he does there and, and does with that knowledge. But um, – We'll talk about that in a moment. But like I said, there are things that are kind of haunting and there are moments in this movie that are thought-provoking, okay? There are also really cool concepts, really cool fantasy 
concepts that are put into this movie. The idea of these, um, you've probably heard about the rock monsters. If this was a movie about rock monsters, maybe if this was just, um, if, if this was, was just, uh, Michael Bay's adaptation of the Gobots battle of the rock Lords, this would have been awesome. Okay. Now, <laughs> Uh, the Rock Lords being what some people might say is the point when Gobots uh, jumped the shark. Um, other people might say that Gobots jumped the shark when they just came out. And as soon as they produced the first Gobots action figure, they jumped the shark right then. Um, I have a fond spot in my in my heart for Gobots, but um, maybe we should save that for uh, uh, some sort of '80s nostalgia episode. Um, but yeah. Uh, the Rock Lords. Uh, this is a cool concept, a bit flawed in execution um, because they don't follow through on some of the kind of things that they're creating. They 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 basically are um, these rock creatures are angels who have fallen to the earth and who, when they rise from the earth, God encrusts them with the earth that they have fallen to. Now they fall into the earth because they are come down to help mankind. And so, um, you know, uh, my friend, Mike Miller, the artist of the hedge Knight, he said, I, you know, I thought there was a name for, for angels that went against God's will. And, and that name was demons. Um, uh, but watchers is what they call them in this movie. And, and they're actually kind of nice and, and helpful. And, and that's actually what they're doing is they, they, they come, they help humanity after the fall. And then they're punished by being encrusted by the earth that they have come down to. It's a cool concept, this curse, and that they're there to help. Um, I don't quite understand exactly what the, the kind of the rules of the world are. Early on, there's a bad guy who has an army with a couple of these rock, rock creatures in. Um, but then there is a Planet of the Apes style forbidden zone that the bad guys won't follow into because the, the rock creatures, they don't trust humans. And, and so maybe the rock creatures from the army were enslaved. I don't know. Um, the rock creatures don't trust humans and actually actively fight them now. Um, but there's just some, some parts of the concept that, like I said, is a bit flawed in execution, but they're, they're really neat. Um, I think I'm going to give them a buy on this where I say, um, I think they purposefully gave those rock creatures a stop motion jitter. I hope that it was purposeful and it wasn't just bad special effects, which we'll talk about momentarily. But um, the stop motion jitter for me almost gave me a little bit of nostalgia seeing that and, and kind of going back to some of the creatures and, you know, Star Wars and that kind of thing. But um, it's a cool concept. And... The, the acting is very good in this movie. Russell Crowe, um, Anthony Hopkins, uh, Jennifer Connelly. They all do a wonderful job acting, although we're going to come back to that when we get into the bad there. And uh, like I said, some of the flashbacks, the dreams, they're incredible, very visual. There's a lot of artisticness to the movie. Um, I just wish that the story matched the artisticness. And that's where we kind of get into the bad. Now, this is where I kind of scratch my head because uh, people I've had conversation with about this. Now, I, I haven't listened to their podcast about it yet, um, but some of them – I doubt they're going to listen to this podcast anyway. But um, they're people I respect, but they don't agree with me on a lot of the problems I have with this movie. I think if you take all of my good comments, I th I'm, I'm guessing that a lot of my good comments would agree with their good comments. Um now the bad there is bad theology here but again let's let's face it okay this is a man who does not believe what we believe as christians um he's uh he's taking a story that i think he looks on as a fable or as a myth and he is telling his version of that it would be very similar to me writing the old west version of hercules that i've always wanted to write I love the story of Hercules. I find it very interesting, and there are some powerful themes and deep ideas that you can pull out from the story of Hercules. And then I want to put it in the Old West and make some changes to some of the, th the character traits that he has, you know, to this, that, and the other thing. Because it's a fable. It's not true. It's not real. 
to me, to change the story of Hercules is not a problem. To Marvel, to change the story of Thor is not a problem. And really, the only time you're going to hear anything about people who have a problem with the changes from the Norse mythology of Thor to the Marvel version of Thor, it's going to be one of those human interest news stories that's kind of, hey, look at these freaks. These people actually believe in Thor and Odin. Okay? For the most part, we don't care that they change ideas in myths because they're not real. And this is where we're going to get, when we get into the ugly, we'll talk a little bit more about, about that, the theology of things here. But um, this is where I need to bring up a, a Seinfeld reference, okay, to kind of ex- explain my biggest, deepest problems with Noah. There's an episode of Seinfeld where he gets upset with his friend Tim Watley, who's played by Brian Cranston. Yeah. Brian Cranston started out with, you know, he started out on Power Rangers, had some, you know, bit roles here and there, but he was on Seinfeld as a dentist, and then went to Malcolm in the Middle, Breaking Bad, and finally Godzilla, which is coming soon, okay? But Brian Cranston, he's a dentist who converts to Judaism, and he becomes a Jew so he can tell the Jewish jokes. Seinfeld says, when he is explaining why he's upset by this to a friend, he says, this doesn't offend me as a Jew. It offends me as a comedian. Okay. And I've said this before about other times, about other things. Um, I remember saying this about the show, uh, studio 60 on the sunset strip, which I really enjoyed that show, but they really told some, tried telling some jokes about Christianity that don't, they just fall flat. Uh, not because it's poking fun at Christianity, but because it's just not funny. And it's supposed to be a show about, you know, a Saturday Night Live type of show. Well, maybe that's realistic. A lot of people don't think Saturday Night Live is very funny anymore. But uh, Noah doesn't offend me as a Christian because I would expect an atheist who's telling the biblical story to tell it as a myth. That's how he sees it. Where it offends me is as a writer and as a storyteller. Because this movie has just poor storytelling, poor characterization, poor theme building, honestly. And even with its big budget, there's poor special effects. Um, and this is where I, I scratch my head and this is where I kind of, uh, came up with the title for this episode, no accounting for taste is I have not seen very many people who agree with me about this, but that this is a poorly constructed movie. Now, when I examine story, I examine it in, in kind of a story quad is what I'm starting to, I'm, I'm just calling it the story quad. Okay. And so in the story quad, you have one quadrant is story, plot. One quadrant is style, skill, technique, talent. One quad is theme and ideas. And one quad is character and, you know, and, and character development, character growth and character uh, exploration. Okay. Um, most people complain about Christian filmmaking because it spends so much time on theme and ideas and just kind of telling you what the message is. Um, a lot of independent filmmaking spends a lot of time on character and just, you know, this, we're just going to follow this guy around, see how he reacts to the world. And we're not going to worry too much about the plot. Not much is going to happen because we're We care about this character. We're following this character. A lot of times, um, with a thriller, you're 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 looking at the uh, the plot. Action movies are about plot. This happens, then this happens, then this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and this happens, and you're just kind of following the characters around from moment to moment to see what happens next. And then there's talent and technique and ability, and that's style. Okay, and that's a, a lot of times again independent films. You know, they're, they're, they're character, but they're also style. 2001 is a great example of a movie. Really not much about character. Really not much plot going on. Um, there's some theme stuff going on. Most of it is about style, especially the last 20 minutes when you're going from um, <laughs> regular guy to the star child kind of thing. It's about style. And it's about beauty. And um, you kind of plot your, your movies on this. You know, in a perfect movie might be a, a dead center, but a perfect movie doesn't have to be because it depends on what the artist is intending. And they may not be hitting the mark with what they're intending, but they're if they're wanting to do a character study, but then the actor 
doesn't have the skill to pull it off or it's just not a very good script, well, then your character study falls flat. But if this is somebody who wants to make a character study movie and they do a really, really, really good job, even without having much plot or theme or maybe even style, it can still be a really, really strong movie. With Noah, the style gets huge marks from me. Style gets a lot of big, huge marks from me. But then, and the theme gets some, but the problem is these quadrants don't stand alone. And I'm not sure how a Venn diagram would work with four circles. Okay. I don't know because you want to have overlap for the two that are, I don't know. So that's why I kind of stick with this quadrant thing. Um, But the problem with the theme is that the characters are kind of being moved like chess pieces just so they can convey the theme. Noah's son does things simply for theme and for plot. And it doesn't, there's no payoff to his character, in in my opinion, from early on, except for they say, well, he's interested in death stuff. Okay. And so later on then, oh, well, 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 they said that earlier, but this is showing and rather this is telling, not showing. And this happens a lot in this movie. So see, my problem is while there's thematic material worth talking about, it means sitting through a movie about people that the movie doesn't seem to care if you care about them. And so you have character problems because I didn't find myself caring about these characters. The characters are carrying the theme. The theme is pushing the characters to do things and they're doing things that are out of character. And I have some problems with, with what they do. Um, And the other thing is when you're talking about character, there's just a lot of melodrama here. There's a lot of crying and there's a lot of plot holes and cliches. And I mean, maybe you can forgive cliches because cliches become cliches for a reason. People do them and use them to the point where they become cliche because there's maybe some truth found there, but I I just have a, a problem with that. So let's start with style. My problems with style don't come in the film style itself. The editing style tends to come off as kind of dreamlike. And I like that there are some jumps in time that it's almost jarring, but I think that's intentional and and I I don't mind that, but the, the special effects, I already mentioned the jitter from the rock creatures, but there's just a number of special effects that I was really, they, they took me out of the movie. Um, there's one where you have human characters who are obviously walking against the green screen because the the background and the, the ground that they're walking on feels like it's from – it's not rendered correctly with them. And then you have the rock creature and it feels like I'm looking at three different things in this image that haven't been rendered together. They're just layered on top of each other but not merged down. Um some of the special effects, honestly, I was looking at them and I wondered, did they shoot this in 3D? And instead of, you know, usually they shoot in two dimensions and then post-convert into 3D. Did they shoot this in 3D and then post-convert into 2D? I don't know. Um, so then there were also a number of plot holes. The plot itself, uh, I, I have some problems with it. But again, kind of coming into cliches, but... They have this smoke, and this uh, we're getting to spoilers here. I, I thought I, I think I mentioned that we'd be, I'd be spoiling this, but um, they have the smoke that knocks out the creatures to allow them to sleep the entire time while they're on the ark, and they would just care for them while they're sleeping. This is a great idea and a very interesting thought. Again, an outsider looking in at the story that we've taken for granted, that's a question. A lot of kids have that question. Well, what happened to the animals? You know, and I. There's a movie that uh, was shown to my kids in church where it just said, and all the animals fell asleep. And that was that. And and it even kind of implies that that's what the Bible tells us. Um, and then it actually, I think it even said that all the animals outside fell asleep. So when the flood came that all the animals in the whole world were asleep and didn't die painfully or something. I don't know. This is coming from my kids, talking to my kids about this. So I, I, I this is secondhand, but... Um, this is a thing that kids wonder about. And so I've heard it said that they were just all peaceful 
and that during that time they didn't follow their animal instincts and they were awake and they were cared for. I've also heard people say that God just put them to sleep and let them sleep. Um, yeah. So in this movie, they have an interesting thing and it's the people doing it. It's not a miracle of God, although it does kind of come from a miracle of this. Uh, again, we're, we're talking about a fantasy movie here. So there is some unobtainium in this movie. There's there's things that allow them to have technology that I don't know where this stuff is now. I guess the implication is they stripped the earth bare of this stuff, this um, these these glowing power rocks. But they take some chemicals, mix things, smash them, heat them or whatever, and it produces a smoke that allows the animals to fall asleep. They test it on a bird and it doesn't kill the bird. It puts it to sleep. So they're walking around and they're carrying these things like incense, honestly, like um, incense in like a, a Catholic setting where, you know, they walk and they have the chains with the, the globe thing at the bottom and it's letting out the incense. And they're, they're walking along, they got the bowls on these strings and the smoke is coming out and, and the animals are just breathing it in. Um, it's kind of secondhand kind of thing. But to me, there's, there's some plot holes. There's some problems there. Why isn't, it, and why is the same dosage putting the little tiny, tiny birds to sleep, but also the huge, enormous elephants to sleep? Wouldn't a dose that can put an elephant to sleep actually kill a smaller creature? And here's the big one. And as soon as I, w I was talking about this with my f uh, with a friend today, and as soon as I brought this up, my son said, well, why didn't it put the people to sleep before I even had a chance to you know get to my punchline as I was talking to my friend? But yeah, why didn't it? Uh, the smoke idea is great, but again, it's just not kind of following through on what, what this actually would cause to happen. There's a big thing at the very beginning, and, and maybe this is what set me off against the movie, but you have Noah and his father, and they're having a heart to heart talking about the beginning, talking about, you know, God's promise or God's, you know, be righteous, be a righteous man, Noah, grow in righteousness, you know, walk with God. This is what his father is telling him. This is all great stuff. And I, I'm listening to this and thinking, okay. And like I said, I went into this movie expecting to like it. I was giving it all of the things that people weren't giving it. Um, that a lot, I should say not people, but, but the, uh, specifically uh, conservatives, a lot of conservatives weren't giving this movie. I was coming in and giving it a chance to just be a movie. And I'm sitting there. And this conversation is happening with, with Noah and his father, and they've got a snakeskin thing. I'm wondering, okay, what's the deal with the snakeskin? That's very interesting. It's, it must be some sort of physical metaphor for a spiritual thing that's going to, you know, that they're going to be talking about. And, and it kind of is. And then they hear a small little noise. They look over, and lo and behold, an entire army of people, including some rock creatures, have snuck up on them. So I'm kind of – I started the movie – totally ready to just sit down and say it's going to be a movie and take it from that perspective in fact i intended to do this review as two reviews one review was going to be me talking about the problems i had um you know on a theological perspective and, and just this from the story you know this is this is a problem this is a problem but you know watching it as a christian storyteller and the other review being watching it as a, a movie goer and almost treating it as if what if it was not Noah, but it was a movie that was intending to be like Lord of the Rings, which is kind of what it's trying to do in a lot of situations in this movie. So I was expecting to just do these two reviews and then this happens and I start turning against the movie and, and maybe, maybe I shouldn't have at that point, but that's a problem. I mean, we, I think we can all agree that maybe they could have filmed or edit it this differently. So it didn't look like they were just, oh, this army snuck up on behind us, be on the other side of that rock, that boulder there. We didn't even notice them coming. Now this leads into Noah's father being killed, and this leads into one of the biggest laugh moments for me in this movie, is when 60, 70 years later, Noah meets the man who killed his father again. And so you have this kind of moment where it's almost like, hello, my name is Noah Montoya. You killed my father. Prepare to die. I didn't expect us to jump into the cliche quite as deep as we did because they have this moment where they meet each other. 
I expected it to be the kind of thing where over time, you know, Noah and this guy become aware of each other's whereabouts. And it's kind of thing over time. Noah knows about the man who killed his father. The man who killed his father knows about Noah and knows who he is. And there's a little bit of a rivalry there because remember the definition, the explicit definition of sin is, is murder and is killing. Um, that's what they're showing in a lot of these, um, flashbacks and, and, and visions and stuff like that. And also in some of the dialogue. So the evil Tubal Cain has sinned against Noah. But what happens is they have this moment where they meet each other and Noah's son is interested in Tubal Cain because Tubal Cain has a weapon and has killed someone. And so, okay, well, that means, you know, they're, they're setting up for later on when Noah's son is going to possibly betray Noah. But again, it's just, there's no setup. There's not enough setup. It's just, we're showing you this, accept it, accept it. Noah and Tubal Cain come face to face and Noah looks at him and I kind of recognize you, which makes sense because Tubal Cain's makeup has not aged much in the years between. Noah was like a seven-year-old boy though. And Tubal Cain looks at Noah and he says, I recognize you. You're the boy. You're the boy of the man I, I killed. And I'm just slapping my head thinking to myself, no, he was, first of all, the way they, they showed it almost implied that those men in the army didn't even notice the kid. And if they did, they saw him running away. And so it's like, I watched you run away. I saw the back of your head when you were seven, but I recognize you now face to face. These are These are things that, it's just poor storytelling. It's poor storytelling. To me, I am, like I said, in the minority of people who like this movie, you know, people who went in not with the agenda of I'm going to hate this because it's not from my Bible, but people who went in and and, and they're liking the movie, but they're they're looking past these problems that I have, and I don't quite understand this. Now, this is a huge huge, huge spoiler I'm about to get into right now. And that's between Noah and his wife. Okay. Noah's wife is played by Jennifer Connelly. Still just a beautiful woman uh, and a wonderful actress. But she's given a very, very difficult part here. She has to spend a lot of time being upset with, with Noah because when we move from the first half of the, the movie, the first half of the movie is... Um, is uh, uh, Noah's Ark being built by Lord of the, Lord of the Rings style rock creatures, and and the flood. The second part of the movie, when we're kind of getting into, I guess it would be Act Three. I guess if I don't know if there's a, a three act structure you can really build this on. Maybe this is Act Three of Four. But um, that's where we're getting into <laughs> the movie. That's that's kind of almost like a movie of the week. All right. Now, Noah, he has decided that humanity has sin, and so they must pay. They must be killed off. And it seems like God is actually giving him this option. Now, I say it seems like because people talk to God, but God doesn't talk back verbally. Um, he does speak through visions, and he does speak through circumstances. And he does speak through um, through. Uh, like, well, not just visions, but also the wisdom of, of elders and that kind of thing. God, though, he's not absent in this movie. And and people who say that he is and that he's silent, um, I, 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 don't, I, I don't see that. I do see a God who is active and a part of the relationship with these people. But they're just missing it. You know, Tubal Cain says, God, why won't you speak to me? But Tubal Cain, when he's saying that, he's saying that outside of an ark, and it's about to start raining. God has spoken to you, Tubal Cain, and he said, you're going to die because of your sin. Um, and he's spoken to you through Noah. I mean, it's things like that where, where characters, you know, they, they, they cry out and they ask questions and then they don't get the answer that they want. And so they act out. Well, with Noah, he has seen this this vision of sin in himself 
and he's decided this is the end. Humanity dies with us. We are going to take care of the boat, and then we are going to let humanity fade into the dust. Now, that's okay because no one on the boat can have children. Noah and his wife aren't going to have children because Noah's not going to allow it. He has two sons who do not have wives and a third son who does have a wife, but she's barren. But they find out when they're on the, the ark that she's actually pregnant. And they spend nine months then on the ark or around that time. He is actively plotting to kill the baby if it's a girl. Okay. So it's kind of a turn off the deep end for Noah, but at the same time, you can see what they're building with the movie, kind of building with this, this idea of, of sin and evil. But you have Noah actively plotting to kill his daughter-in-law's child, his own grandchild, going against his wife, who is yelling and screaming at him. I mean, we're spending months and months and months of just torture of torment of terror of bitterness of anger and pain now in the end he doesn't kill the child that's actually twin girls and so when people say well the bible says that he went on the ark with his three sons and their wives technically he did go on the ark with his three sons and their wives it's just two of the wives were um in the belly of of another one. He ends up not killing the girls. But now we have a broken relationship here. A terribly, terribly broken relationship. Noah's wife and Noah's daughter-in-law have spent months of abuse and terror with this man who has become emotionally unavailable except for anger and except for judgment they hit ground and noah then spends a couple weeks doing no work except for one thing the only work he's doing is fermenting grapes so that he can turn it into wine and get drunk and he's getting drunk this is a bit from the biblical account that he gets drunk and and it's something we don't really get into much with uh with the sunday school version of this and you're never going to see um you know, stencils on a, a nursery wall of Noah, you know, drunk on the, on the ground underneath the rainbow. Okay. Um, meanwhile, everyone else is rebuilding. They're building homes. They're planting their, um, you know, they're, they're building a life while Noah is, is off drinking himself into a stupor in a cave. He has a heart to heart talk with his daughter in law who basically says, You know what? You tried, you did you know, you did what you had to do, you knew what you had to do, and, and you didn't kill them, so that's good. Uh, yeah, so you threatened to kill them, but you didn't, and so it's okay. We're all we're all good. Good. And and then he pulls himself together, he goes to where his wife is weeding a garden, he sits down with her, he weeds a little bit with her, they they meet, their eyes meet, thirty seconds of weeding, and she just embraces him back into her life. And so I have to wonder, um, you know, it's almost like this, the second half is just, you know, a realistic portrayal of the abusive relationship. I mean, I've seen this before, actually kind of lived this a little bit in college, uh, on the other end where I was, you know, in a relationship with a girl who was, uh, emotionally abusive to me. And I kept going back to her. My friends couldn't understand why it's real. Uh, and so she's embraced him back into his life. We don't see Noah make an effort. And there's the embrace. It just, it bothered me because the movie didn't earn that moment. The movie spent the second half turning Noah into the uh, villainous force in his wife and in his daughter-in-law's life. And then we're just supposed to say, forget about all of that. 20 seconds of weeding the garden with her. He's back in. This is Stockholm Syndrome, okay? This is an abusive relationship where she is just inviting him back in because I have to. I have to. I, sh I wanted to see him making an effort. I just wanted to see maybe a short montage or something of him making an effort. But anyway, these, these are plot holes that I, I had a problem with. 
I went in ready to give this movie everything, but instead it opened with me laughing and it ended with me laughing. Um, I just, the script was poor. The plot was poor. Uh, and I, I would like to think that I'm not just saying this because I'm, you know, like I've, I've had people say on, on Facebook, you know, just a conservative, um, literalist or a frustrated, uh, irrelevant Christian artist. Uh, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm not, I'd like to think that I actually don't like this movie because, and, and I don't. I, I don't like this movie. I, I don't think that the um, the themes and the visuals are enough to elevate this movie to a place where I would say, yeah, I like that. I want to see it again. I'm not all that interested in it. But I, I said you know, we're going to talk about the good. We're going to talk about the bad. Um, what about the ugly? Because the ugly, to me, it feels really, really ugly. And that is just the division that this movie has caused. Or maybe the division that this movie has brought to light. People I respect on both sides of the, the coin for this movie. I I just, I'm, I'm having a hard time understanding them. And there is a real big us versus them in the discussion about this movie. Like I said, there's that... Um, idea of artistic irrelevance. You're not, or beyond that, just people saying, you're not smart enough to understand this movie. I understand this movie. I like this movie because I understand it and you don't like it because you don't understand it. On the other hand, you also have people who are saying, you like this movie because spiritually you're disconnected or because spiritually you don't understand what's going on here and it's actually harmful. Okay. Um, and so you kind of have these two sides of the coin of people who are just really, really going uh, to me going uh, over the top with how can you like this movie? How could you go to this movie? Um, how could you fund Hollywood by going to this movie? You should be going to see God's not dead or son of man instead. I haven't seen either of those movies, by the way. I really can't speak to them. I have a pretty good idea what to expect if I go to them, though. Um, I did choose to go to Noah instead because I wanted to see it. I was more interested in seeing Noah than I was in seeing Son of Man or no Son of God or um, or God's Not Dead. Now, eventually, I do hope to see God's Not Dead because I do want to be able to make a uh, 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 an informed opinion about it. But I'm. <clears throat> I'm actually kind of reminded a little bit about um, what happened years and years ago when you had another big spiritual blockbuster movie um, and and it was coming out around the same time as a, a small budget uh, Christian movie. And that's The Matrix and, and The Omega Code. Now, I didn't see The Omega Code. I can only speak to uh, The Omega Code from what I heard my friends saying about it. And that was that it was good for a Christian movie. And that's a whole other discussion, okay? Uh, but The Matrix comes out, and it's just blowing everyone's minds. And they're like, this is so big. This is so huge. Look at all these things we can use to talk about. I was a youth pastor at this time. And boy, oh boy, um, as far as youth pastors go, they were given on the, a golden platter. You know, it's what it looked like, a golden platter of meat and relevance. We can talk about... We can talk about, um, uh, we can talk about these spiritual ideas from this huge, enormous, expensive movie, and it was it was interesting. I did it myself. We talked about the Matrix in my youth group. Okay, <clears throat> but there's like I said, this real us versus them kind of thing going on. On the one side, you kind of have the. And it goes deeper than, than the Noah movie, you know. But the other thing I'm kind of seeing on both sides is on the side of people who are believers, they're Christians who like this movie. I'm seeing people say, finally, here is an artistic and intellectual movie that has spiritual themes. On the flip side, you have that movie, a movie like God's Not Dead, 
I'm going to leave son of God out of this because of the controversy that's kind of around that. But if you look at God's not dead, you have people coming and saying, finally, a movie that expresses my worldview. It's a safe movie that I can go to and not be challenged. Noah is a movie that's going to challenge you. And for me, it challenged me in a number of different ways. I wasn't expecting, (laughs) you know, um, kind of on, on that style level or whatever. And plot and character. Okay. Um, and, and like I said, with, with theme, when I was talking about the good stuff, but you have these two sides on one side, you have people who love film and want to see a great movie that engages them on a spiritual level. And with no other getting something close to that. On the other side, you have people who they want a great movie, but it's going to be one that, reinforces what they already think and already believe. And on that side, you have these people because they want that because of so much of what is coming out from Hollywood and coming out on TV in movies. It's material that doesn't just challenge them, but actively puts them down. And so when they turn on the TV and they think they're going to be watching some sort of crime drama, but it turns into the priest was behind it all along and gets into that old cliche of the spiritual leader must be some sort of evil that you can't trust. My children and I started rewatching Little House on the Prairie. Uh, we're starting from the very beginning. We don't have those kind of characters who are on, on, in our pop culture who are believers, but not just believers, good people, positive people. Too often we get the opposite. And that's what the reaction is. When people see a movie like God's Not Dead coming out, they're seeing a movie that is is reinforcing and that is allowing them to say, oh, yeah, this is this is what I believe. And I am someone who writes material like that. My book, Book of God, is a book that gives people more information about where the Bible came from and why it can be trusted. It is meant to be a comfort. It is meant to be a challenge in some ways, too. But it is meant to allow people to say, oh, now I know this. I know something new and I know something more. And it has reinforced what I already know and what I already believe. But then on that other side of the coin, you have people who want to think and want to be engaged by story. And so far, the only things that are coming to them to engage them are coming from that opposite perspective. And they're looking at the same things. So that crime drama with a priest who was behind it all along, who can't be trusted. Okay. The people who are kind of, you know, embracing Noah are the same kind of people who are looking at that TV show, maybe. I don't know if they'd be wanting to watch that or whatever, but they're, they're looking at that TV show and saying, why does this challenge me? What is there? Is there truth behind this? If there is truth behind this, is it a literal truth or is it a metaphorical truth? Why does it, why does it matter? You know, why? And, and so you have these two sides of the coin, but it's, it's, it's these two sides of the coin that, it's it's the conflict between the, it's the us versus them within the us within the body of Christ and i think it comes down to people not trying to understand the other side i i might be wrong about that I, and i might be um painting uh, painting these sides as caricatures okay but there is validity to both sides and, and both of these opinions Okay, um, there's validity to the concern that Christians have to being told your faith is based on a myth. And so when the people who don't want to go see Noah, they don't want to go because they're just going to go and be have it thrown in their face that, yes, this man and these money make you know, money counters, they believe you are you trust in a myth. There's validity to that. And to those of you who would say, I don't want to go see this movie. And then are being told, well, you can't engage with the culture if you don't go see it. You can. There is absolutely nothing wrong with you going and saying um, to your friend who may have seen this movie, well, what did you like about it? What did you think about what it was saying? 
What does it say about evil? Engage with them. You don't have to engage with the culture by only going and seeing the movie and, and spending your money on it. You can still engage. There is also validity to the idea that getting an outsider's view of something that we on the inside have held very dear and taken for granted, many of us for all of our lives, there is validity to being able to take that perspective and kind of gain understanding. What do they think of us? What do they think of our story? What do they think of our stories? What do they think of our beliefs? There's validity to that as well, because the truth is not everyone thinks we're boogeymen and not everyone out there is a boogeyman. Okay. I, so all that just to say, you know, try and engage, start asking questions. Your friend who liked the movie, talk to them, find out what they liked about it. I tried to do the same thing. I was trying to figure out what did people see in this movie that I didn't see that allowed them to really embrace the movie. Okay. But you have these two sides and the one side is saying embrace. The other side is saying reject. And I think that there is something in between there. Um, this us versus them thing. It goes beyond Noah though. And, and, and I think that that's kind of what maybe the takeaway here is, is that it really isn't us versus them for Noah. And this is, you know, here's a nice little application from the movie. Noah realized it wasn't us versus them. It's all us. We all have the sinful nature. Noah wanted to walk with God. And in the biblical account and in the movie, he wanted to walk with God. Now, in the movie, it meant something very different to what we would say it means to us who actually, you know, believe in the Bible as as, as truth. But um, he realized it's not just us and them. It's not good and evil. Tubal Cain and his people are not evil, or I shouldn't say are not the only evils, because we are too. We are not good. We are human. We have the sinful nature as well. So there's so much us versus them in this world. And there's you know, Christianity versus Hollywood. And there's the um, the liberals and the conservatives. There's the conservative agenda and the, you know, the, the liberal agenda. There's all this us versus them, but I think we kind of forget that we really are all in the same boat. Um, Romans chapter three. Romans is my favorite book in the Bible. Um, maybe you know Matthew and Romans kind of fight it out because Matthew's story, but Romans is you know a lot of teaching. Romans chapter three verses. Um, well, I'll start with ten, I guess. No one. There's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. I mean, there's all this very, very strong language. And very, very inclusive language. No one is righteous, not even one. No one has real understanding. Okay. Go to skip ahead to, let's go to uh, verse 22. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of glory, the glory of God. Okay. Um, again, it's, it's inclusive. These are some inclusive Bible verses. This us versus them mentality is kind of bothering me. Um, okay, so I, I've rambled for, what, an hour now about <laughs> all of this. So I think maybe I should uh, kind of cut myself off here. Um, I wish I liked editing more because I would consider editing. So the bottom line is, for Noah, I honestly, I don't recommend it. I don't recommend the movie Noah. But I do believe if you go and see it that you could actually have some conversations with people about what it means. Um, I I wish I could understand why people are so accepting and so embracing of this movie. These are some of the same people who reject Christian movies for the same reasons that I'm rejecting this movie. Cliches, plot holes, um, poor dialogue, poor storytelling. And honestly, this is a movie that theme drives the cart. The message that Darren Aronofsky wanted to give is the the the, the thing that's that's front and center, and that when characters ask questions, the answers are given verbally and explicitly. Why is the world going to you know, dying? It's because the world. It's just they get answered, and and so a lot of the same things, same criticisms that people have of Christian movies, I have of this movie. 
The difference being the skill level of the person involved. I expected more from Darren Aronofsky and perhaps I was expecting too much from him and should have tempered my expectations. But I had some people, man, who just really reviewed this and gave it some really positive, a lot of really positive things. But I'm coming up on an hour here and I don't even know who, if you've made it this far, you know, <laughs> drop me a line. Um, if you, <laughs> I promise you, we've actually got a couple of really fun episodes coming up and, uh, but I, like I said, this has been rattling around in my head. I just wanted to get it off my chest, and and um, this is the way I do that. So, thank you so much for listening. If you think I'm crazy, let me know why. I would really appreciate to know um, if these plot holes and problems and and issues I had with with how this movie was made, if maybe I'm just off the rails myself, as, as crazy as Noah was. Um, let me know contact us go to strangersandaliens.com where you can find all sorts of ways to contact us um and again i just say thanks for listening and until next time everyone godspeed you've been listening to the strangers and aliens podcast hosted by ben avery steve mcdonald and dr jace o'neill our music was composed and mixed by tim leffel Please join in the conversation by visiting our website, strangersandaliens.com, where you will find show notes, articles, reviews, and more. You can also email us directly at podcast at strangersandaliens.com, or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash strangers, or you can leave us a voicemail on the Strangers and Aliens hotline. Just call 1-804-37-ALIEN and leave your message. And once again, thanks for listening.